This is The Blunt Doctor Show. On a Tuesday morning, the most important Tuesday morning that we're going to have probably all of this year, or at least until the next super important Tuesday morning, as it is Lakers-Suns Game 5. Everything on the line right now, a stranglehold of the series, the potential for home court advantage for both teams, everything matters. It's down to a you know best of three, and it is time for the Phoenix Suns to go to the next level. We're going to talk about that soon and what I want to see in Game 5, but first, I want to go over a few things. And this is one thing I don't want to talk about, but I feel that my ability to yell at people and call them stupid for their stupid things that they do um, is needed. So I'm going to bring it up. Why is every single fan in the NBA who's going to games right now a fucking moron? Is it because it's all anti-mask, anti-vax dumbasses? Is that why we have people throwing water bottles and throwing popcorn and yelling racist shit and doing all this other crazy shit that's been going on, running on the fucking court? Like, what the hell is going on? Do we just need to go back to a bubble? I gotta tell you, the basketball was really good in the bubble. If this is the result of bringing back fans, is that everyone's gonna act like a fucking jackass and they're gonna endanger players and they're going to sprint on the court and do all kinds of crazy shit, then maybe we just need to go back to no fans. And, you know, people are saying, oh, in danger play, oh, it's popcorn, oh, whatever. Dude, one guy threw a water bottle that had water in it at Kyrie Irving's fucking head. If that hits him in the eye, he could miss the fucking playoffs. Like, this is not a fucking joke. And, yeah, dumping popcorn on someone isn't... But, you know, as... As... You know, everyone has pointed out that, you know, these play. I mean, look what happens. Someone throws popcorn on Russell Westbrook and then he tries to confront the guy and Russell Westbrook has eight people, you know, tackling him, preventing him from, you know, doing anything about it. You know, if an NBA player does something, there's going to be, you know, repercussions. You know, when the mouse at the palace happened, dudes were suspended for a year, you know, but fans are doing all this shit. I mean, they're getting banned for life, and some of them are getting charges. So we're, you know, we're we're starting to see it turn around. We just can't let this go. Like you just can't let this stuff happen. Because again, if it was the other way around, as everyone has pointed out, if it's the other way around, if a player charges into the stands, or if a player threw something at a fan, or one of those things, if a player does that, then like their life is like fucking ruined. So we need to be doing the same thing to these people who like are basically assaulting players in public eye, in plain view. I'm not like, I hate the police. Fuck the police and fuck the court system. I'm not trying to, you know, ban them for life, find them, I don't know, you know, whatever punishment needs to come for assault. I don't know. I'm not a criminal justice expert. And also criminal justice experts are probably liars. See, very complicated issue here if we're trying to invoke the whole socialism thing as we talk about assault charges for people throwing water bottles. The point is if we, the fans are going to act like complete fucking tools, then they're just going to remove us and find a way to charge us to watch the games from home so that they don't have to ever be around us ever again. And you know, the, the phenomenal action of being at live games is just going to be taken away from us. If this keeps happening, I'm sure that they'll never large-scale ban fans, but, I mean, if this thing starts to happen, it's going to become a nightmare. They're not going to give you water bottles anymore. They're not going to give you anything that could be thrown. They're going to make you eat in a concourse area where you can't be near the players. It's going to be like hockey. They're going to put up glass. Like I, I don't know what they're going to do, but if people keep acting like fucking jackasses, the reactions to those things will not make basketball better. They will make the experience worse because it's the whole, you know, a few people ruin it for everyone thing. And that's literally exactly what's happening right now, because we're not even talking about basketball. So much of the conversation revolving around these playoffs is how many people have been a fucking jackass and how many people have crossed the line. That's what is being talked about. That's what I'm opening my show with because people are being fucking jackasses and it's, it's embarrassing. It is depressing. 
And it just goes to show one more way that Americans are disrespectful fucking morons. We just don't care about anything but what we think is funny. And it doesn't matter what we ruin for someone else. I have a prank idea. I'm going to destroy this thing that people have been working on for their entire lives. I don't know. You know, maybe I take it too seriously. I just don't think it's fucking funny. I don't think it's cool. I don't think it's edgy. And when I see teams, you know, defending or not teams, excuse me, when I see fans of teams defending the dumbass behavior of the people who go to a game, like you spend a thousand dollars on a game ticket or five hundred dollars and then you throw a fucking water bottle like a punk bitch. Like, what is this, man? It's an embarrassment. It's an embarrassment is what it is. And, you know, we need to, you know, shame these people. And, you know, as far as all of the racist commentary goes regarding, you know, players saying they've heard racist things in Boston. Like, what the fuck would Danny Ainge know about that? Why is he talking on that issue at all? There have been multiple people who have pointed out that um, he shouldn't have said shit. It's not his... You know, it's not his place. And, you know, even Marcus Smart has backed up what Kyrie Irving said. So everyone just needs to address this problem head on. We need to address the way that fans act. We need to address the things that fans are screaming at players. It's a privilege to go to these games, man. It's not a fucking right. It's a privilege to watch these guys play. And if you literally can't act like a human being and treat everyone in these games like human beings because you gambled on the game and you lost money or something, then get the fuck away. Then just go home. You don't deserve it. Anyone who would act like this doesn't deserve it. Anyone who would defend people act like this doesn't deserve to go. It is a privilege to watch these guys play. And if you're going to act like a fucking tool, just stay home. In much better news, before we get to the NBA playoffs real quick, another set of twins is going to the Overtime Elite League, so they're going to become professional basketball players straight out of high school instead of going the college route, and uh, that is Amen Thompson and Ozer Thompson, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, but the Overtime Elite League is basically recruiting you know, a lot of the elite young high school talent, just basically saying, hey, skip the college year, come get paid. Um, it's a lot like the G League Ignite team. Um, but basically what we're seeing now is just, you know, different avenues being opened up for guys to go pro right out of high school. There's still the European option. Um, most European teams aren't that interested in United States high school players simply because, you know, in Europe, um, it's a different brand of basketball featuring veteran players and, you know, hard-nosed coaches, and if you make a defensive rotation wrong, you know, they don't care if you can shoot or whatever, they'll bench you. And it's just a league, all of them, all the leagues over their favorite veterans. So that has never been a popular route, despite the fact that it was feared that it would happen a lot more, like when Brandon Jennings did it, and Jeremy Tyler did it, I believe, as well. Um, But with this new overtime elite league, with, you know, the G League option, you know, we're going to start to see a lot of the best talent just skip college and go straight to different pro basketball and you know we're going to start to see minor league basketball systems develop a lot like they do in baseball Um, and this is a really good thing it's not that you know college basketball isn't good but the players should be paid and this is simply what it's going to eventually boil down to is that guys you know the NCAA will allow players to be paid but colleges will never pay players directly I mean maybe they'll give them a stipend or something um Or maybe they will all get, uh, you know, a salary from the NCAA. Every player will get the same salary or something. But that's always going to be um, smaller than what, you know, a professional salary would be. And so you're just basically going to choose, you know, do I want to, you know, live at the college experience and, you know, live on campus and blah, 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 all those things and get my stipend? Or do I just want to get my money and go play in a, you know, more developmental league? You know, for the time being, if you go to college, you have more of an opportunity to raise your national profile because you're on television. If you make it to one of the top colleges, there's so many legends. You know, there's a lot of things about it. It's hard to evaluate some of these other young guys, too. So um, if you go to the Overtime League or the G League Ignite, it could, 
you know, who knows where you'll get drafted in the NBA because, you know, for the time being, again, they're going to be like, oh, we didn't see you against the other top college schools. It's going to take time for it to be accepted as a legitimate route, especially with the overtime elite league, just because it has less affiliation um, with the actual NBA than obviously the G League Ignite team does, which is part of, you know, the literal NBA development league. But in any case, all of this is good because we shouldn't be letting prime earning years of these players' careers just go free to college. And that still happens in football, and that's a problem. Uh, And again, you know, eventually it's just going to come with, like, do you want the college experience? Do you want the stipend? And you'll get advertisement dollars from being able to, you know, you're a famous person at that college, so there's going to be a lot of people who will pay you to advertise. Or do you want to go to the overtime elite league? Like, these things are going to become you know, comparable. And hopefully eventually someone does the same thing with football. Let's set up a minor league football system, uh, you know, stop colleges from being able to milk all of the top talent in four of their best earning years. Um, You know, not necessarily that we want 18 year olds playing in the NFL because their bodies aren't, you know, developed enough probably, but they should still be getting paid for playing the sport of football. I mean, regardless of, what age you're playing you're physically giving your body up if you're playing real football i mean just even pop warner kids are i mean you're taking hits that early even if they're not the forceful hits that nfl guys are delivering obviously it's still kids your age and your size delivering forceful hits if you play football you're giving up your body and you deserve to be paid for it and that's just really it so and if you play basketball you deserve to be paid for. I mean, truthfully, any sports you're playing after high school, you should really be paid for. And probably at a certain point, we should start paying AAU and high school players. But no one else has brought up that discussion yet, so I'm not going to either. I'm just going to move on from that one because it seems like, yeah, let's just not go there. And let's talk about the NBA playoffs. These playoffs have generally gone how I thought they would. There have been, obviously, some surprises, um, but... You know, the Blazers and Nuggets, that series is really interesting. Um, obviously, the last game, you know, we know that the Blazers just absolutely blew them out. Um, just looked ugly. And, you know, you go on you go on Reddit, you go on places where, you know, Nuggets fans are talking about the game. And, you know, they're, they're having a fit. They're just like, oh, my God, they figured us out. What are we going to do? Um, and, you know, I picked Denver, and I still think Denver's going to win. Uh, you know, despite how well Dame is playing, uh, you know, I just think Denver has the size advantage at, well, it is tough with the number of injuries that Denver has right now, playing Morris and Compazzo so many minutes, then you're starting to be like, well, do they really have a size advantage? Well, but, you know, it's, there are a lot of different ways to look at it, and I understand that. But in a 2-2 series, I'm, you know, I'm riding with the team that I picked to win the series and I'm taking the Nuggets. And it is going to be interesting to see if, you know, if the Blazers can continue to defend Jokic as well as they have. Jokic had a couple of great games. In the last game, though, the Blazers just, you know, they were making everything. And um, it's just going to be a really interesting series. But what we've learned for sure is that every time the Blazers and Nuggets play in the playoffs, you need to get your popcorn ready because it's slugfest. You know, we saw this uh, before when uh, the Blazers uh, beat them in seven games and advanced to the conference finals. Um, well, hell, we saw the Nuggets, you know, take the Jazz when they were down 3-1 and they took the Clippers when they were down 3-1 too. The Nuggets know how to make something a series and we know that Dame knows how to make everything a game. So, when you put all these elements together, it's fun. It was always going to be fun. Um, and it's a really good series. And, you know, I was on, again, NBA Reddit, and I asked the question, and I got a ton of different answers. If Because everyone is basically of the assumption, if the Blazers blow it in this first-round series, maybe even if they won this series and lost in the second round, who knows? But surely, if they blow it in this first-round series, everyone agrees that Terry Stotts will be fired. And I just don't understand why exactly. Like, why is Neil O'Shea so safe in his position? Like, this is my question that's always been the question for me with the Blazers. He drafted Damian Lillard. He drafted CJ McCollum. Okay, I get that. I understand those things. But after that, he really hasn't done so well. Basically, every Blazers draft pick since those two has been, eh, 
They really haven't hit anything. Like, And I know that it's tough when you're drafting late, and I know that, you know, some of it is player development, and I know that sometimes you just have this, that, or whatever. But, you know, the Pacers are always drafting in the middle of the first round, and they develop players just fine. And they've also acquired some free agents. They've done a lot of, you know, different things. And I know that the Pacers are not in the playoffs right now necessarily, but um, they've continued to be a good team while hitting on mid-round picks, and they never had a Dame Willard, you know, six pick overall is my point. So you can develop middle-tier players, especially when you hit on a couple of stars. But ever since then, he's done nothing. And it's like, I understand those are very good players to get. I get that. He traded for Nurkic. He got Roko. I understand all these things. Like, I understand he's made decent moves, but he's also had like six or seven years of nothing from the draft. That should get you fired. That truly should get you fired. Like, just honestly, you can't waste everything. You can't waste every asset you have in the draft. You have to make something happen. And on top of that, the Evan Turner and Alan Crabb contracts are basically unforgivable mistakes that not only cost you huge salary dollars, but cost you tremendously in opportunity costs down the line when you have to make other decisions that emanate from those two horrible decisions. They should have let the Nets keep Alan Crabb. They never should have signed Evan Turner. When Evan Turner, it's not like when Evan Turner got that contract, we were all like, oh, well, it's the new economy. Guys make more money. No, all of us were fucking stupefied. Evan Turner himself couldn't believe the Blazers offered him that money. It was dumb. It was unforgivable. And somehow Neil O'Shea just has this ironclad hold over the job. And the simple fact of the matter is that, okay, let's say that the Blazers do get through the Nuggets. Okay, fine. But Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum are very similar players, and they're too small of a backcourt to probably win a title together. That's what we've seen. Like, unless you have phenomenal defenders around them, and they don't, you're in trouble. And if the answer to the question is we need to get phenomenal defenders around them, then why hasn't that happened in like six years? Because this is always the question with them. And I understand, like, it's difficult. They're a small market, blah, blah, blah. That's the fucking job of the GM. Deal with it. Figure it out. Draft and develop players. And they haven't done that. Now, you might say to me, okay, we think the problem is that Terry Stotts can't develop players. Fine. Then both he and Neil O'Shea should be fired. Because it's not always about player development. Sometimes you just find a diamond in the rough. And Neil O'Shea has not done that. And if you want to throw Terry Stotts on top of that, fine. But I don't understand any world where you fire Terry Stotts and then somehow get a coach who's just going to take this team to the next level. Like, what's the guy? Who's the guy that suddenly comes in and makes the Blazers a title team? I don't... Like, I have no idea. Is there some young... Like, you know, David Vanterpool? Because he has... You know, I think he has some ties to the Blazers. Uh, he helped develop Damon CJ. Like, I mean, maybe. Is that the answer? Uh, you know, maybe. And and maybe he would be better. But, like, he would still have the same fucking problems that there's no, you know, there's one decent wing defender and one decent post defender and then a whole lot of nothing on defense. Like, this roster can't win a title. And yet... It's Terry Stott's fault. Like, he got this team to a Western Conference Finals. He got them, like, farther than they should have gone, probably. I just don't, I don't know. If you're going to sit here and tell me he's not a good player development guy, Terry Stotts, I'm going to believe you. Because they haven't developed a ton of talent since Damon CJ. And again, Damon CJ would tell you that David Vanterpool had a lot to do with, you know, their development. So... You know, okay, I, I accept that. And again, you can, I, I'm not like necessarily arguing against firing Terry Stotts. Sometimes a coach has just run his course, but I don't understand how firing Terry Stotts does anything with all, without also reshaping the roster in a major way. Like, it's a band aid thing. You got to do something here. Neil O'Shea should not have such a stranglehold over that job. And as far as the Nuggets go, you know, it sucks, but it's like, 
You just are basically waiting on Jamal Murray to come back, and then you're going back at this thing with your, you know, Jamal Murray, uh, you know, maybe Will Barton, uh, uh, Michael Porter Jr., and Aaron Gordon and Jokic lineup, and maybe not Will Barton, but, you know, whatever the case may be, you're just basically waiting to get healthy again if you're the Nuggets. That's, like, your future plans. Like, truthfully, the Nuggets aren't probably not making any moves because their big thing is, you know, we got to keep Jokic happy, keep everyone around, and the big deal for them is just getting healthy again. So not as much to talk about on the Nuggets' future, but, man, the Blazers thing is just really interesting to me. And it is really interesting how much hinges on these playoffs because if the Blazers do win this series, Terry Stotts is more likely to keep his job. I'm not saying he would keep it necessarily, but he's certainly more likely. And if the Blazers got to the Western Conference Finals, then I think he would definitely keep his job. Which, I mean, he probably should because that team doesn't deserve to be in the Western Conference Finals. So just, you know, he really is coaching for his job. And, you know, how hard the Blazers play could, you know, we know that Dame has fought to keep Terry Stotts before. So if the Blazers win this series, maybe that is a reflection on playing for their coach. I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things you can say. But the simple fact of the matter is the Nuggets have a more stable future right now than the Blazers, really regardless of the outcome of this series. We know what the Nuggets are doing. This summer could potentially really be a huge shakeup for the Blazers. So, And that means trending towards the whole Harden breakup thing for Dame. I hate like predicting that, but that would be like what bad is. Anyway. The Mavs and Clippers, what a fucking series. I mean, as good as the Mavs were in the first couple games, you know, their outlier shooting performance and then their performance since Luka uh, rolled his ankle or, you know, whatever it was, um, you know, it just shows why the Mavs aren't a title team right now because they have to have Luka Doncic playing at, like, an impossible level to maintain, like an unreal level to win games like the way that Kawhi and Paul George were playing Luca had to play out of his fucking mind and control everything to get it done. And he did, you know, for two games and everyone around him shot the lights out and it was perfect. But when things get a little tough, the Mavs just sort of fall apart. When Luca can't do his thing, they really don't have anything to fall back on. And as good as Jalen Brunson has been and, you know, as good as, you know, their role players have been fitting in, that you can't construct an offense around it when things aren't going well. And this has sort of always been the Mavs thing is that they're always built around one guy. They were always built around Dirk, no matter how many other players they had, it was built around Dirk. Now they're built around Luka Doncic. And when, as he goes, the Mavs go, and it's possible for him to carry them to great heights, but it's not possible to win, you know, a championship Right now with this dude and then a bunch of just guys, you know, you know, the 2011 Mavs are an exception. They're not a, you know, a guaranteed sort of blueprint. And I know the Mavs, you know, acquired another guy and Chris Stapps and they thought that they were going to have a second star. And that's just not really what he is. He's a good player. He's not a second star. And, you know, they've got to figure out how they want to retool this team. But, you know, this series just shows they're not a serious finals contender right now because, you know, Luka Doncic can't play every single game and score 40 and, you know, 14 and 40. Like, it, you know, he can't play like the top of LeBron stat lines every single game. That's just not a realistic thing. And, you know, a lot of that comes from his super high usage. But, you know, he is a great player for sure. But, I mean, everything they do, you know, the Mavs let him run every single play. Every, you know, he, he's doing everything. And as they should, right? It's He's great. But it's this team is not built in a realistic way to win a title right now. Um, as for the Clippers, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to project what this series shows about them just because we, you know, again, this is what we know about the Clippers, right? You might just bomb them out of the gym, but then they might just come bomb you out of the gym. And at this point, you know, based on how things have gone since Luca got hurt, I mean, I just, I, I, I always thought the Clippers were going to win this series. I thought it'd be funny as hell if the Mavs did win, but, um, you know, I just think the Clippers are the better team right now. Um, 
if we just look at the top end, you know, Kawhi and Paul George, they're better than Luka and and KP just because of how bad KP is, um, you know, especially defensively, at least. Um, he is he's been good on offense at times, but defensively, he's just not, you know, what anyone hoped he would be. Um, you know, the injuries have really just taken that from him, at least at this point. Um, and, you know, I think with, you know, the role players, I mean, you could make an argument either way for what team has, you know, better depth. But, um, you know, there's been a lot of interesting coaching matchups in this series, um, you know, just trying to, you know, going big versus going small and, you know, attacking all those things there, you know, I'm not going to sit here and go every series play by play. The point is it's been a good series, but I think it shows the Mavs weaknesses more than anything. As far as the Clippers go, I mean, their strengths and their weaknesses, we know what the issues are with the Clippers, right? They don't have like a point guard who can truly initiate offense for them when things are going wrong. That's why they got Rondo. We'll see if that makes a difference, but it's probably not going to be this series where you see that because you've got to play an elite defensive team. And, you know, it just so happens that the next, you know, there there are some elite defensive teams coming up soon for the Clippers to play. So, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. But the Clippers are just exactly what we thought they would be. You know, when Kawhi and Paul George are hitting their shots and the role players hit some threes around them, they're damn near impossible to beat. And, you know, when things get tough, What's going to happen when the offense isn't working and they're not hitting their shots and they need someone to initiate? Well, you know, we'll see. In the first couple games, it wasn't even that way necessarily because, like, you know, Kawhi was still playing great. They just couldn't do anything with Luka. Now Luka's hurt. You know, who knows? Maybe Luka gets healthy and takes things back. You know, either way, the Mavs aren't a serious contender right now. Um, They are just, you know, a player and a half away or something like that. So... But the final couple games in this series will be fun. The whole West has been fun, really. Um, the Utah has pretty much taken a stranglehold against Memphis at this point. I mean, Memphis is just young. Uh, you know, they weren't even expected to be here. Everyone was sure that the Warriors were going to beat them. I was sure that the Warriors were going to beat them. So, you know, the fact that they're down 3-1, you know, I don't think that anyone... I don't think that anyone's shocked by that. I don't think that anyone... In, within Memphis Grizzlies fandom is concerned by that. You know, you got into the playoffs when you didn't expect to be here. I mean, you know, you look at the the Grizzlies trajectory. They damn near made the playoffs last year. You know, they, they got to the play-in and couldn't quite get there. Then this year, they got through the play-in. You got into the playoffs, and maybe it's going to be a gentleman's sweep, but it's still good trajectory. I mean, we look at Devin Booker. You know, the Suns didn't even put a team around him for years. And so... The early playoff experience is great for Jaw. So I think everything is good in Memphis. I don't think you worry about, you know, losing this series. Uh, I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, you know, it's just one more step and good for them to, to get a win anyway and get that feeling and, you know, just remind yourself, hey, I want that feeling in the future. As far as the Jazz go, um, you know, I don't think anything about winning this series, on the other hand. Like, you should beat the Grizzlies. So it's just not like, ooh, impressive series win for the Jazz, you know, whatever. And I know they haven't won it yet. I know the Grizzlies are still technically in it and can find a way to come back 3-1. And we've seen crazier shit for sure. But I I think the Jazz are probably just going to knock out that series. But it's just a good step forward for Memphis. Good for them. Um, But the West has been a war, right? In in every series. Again, it's 2-2 in the Blazers Nuggets. It's 2-2 in the Suns Lakers. It's 2-2 in Clippers Mavs. Um, before we talk Suns Lakers in the East, there's been a little bit more chalk, right? Um, the Bucks crushed Miami. Uh, there were still some people who thought that Miami was going to be able to take that thing, but I just, I, the Bucks were much better this year. Miami was worse. It was pretty clear. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> that first game was close. And who knows what would have happened with, you know, the Bucks' mental state if they had lost that first game. Who knows? But, um, man, they fucking took it to them. They, after that, they absolutely pummeled them. And who knows what's up with Jimmy Butler. And, man, I never thought that the future of Miami was going to potentially be confusing. But a series like this definitely makes me wonder. Because, like, Pat Riley is not someone who wants to sit around and wait, 
You know, he's always trying to retool. He's always trying to make the big swing. They built their whole roster around the idea that there were going to be big name free agents available this summer. And then the pandemic came and, you know, basically a lot of guys signed and now none of them are available, basically. And so you've got to find a way to acquire a star via trade. You've got to find a way to cobble something together. And after a series like this, after your run to the bubble, it's like, how do you evaluate things? Can you take anything from the bubble seriously? Was that all just because of the bubble? Was this just a bad year because it's a pandemic year? It's tough to evaluate these things. And I never really thought that Miami was going to be in that position. Like I thought, hey, you got Jimmy, you got Bam, you know, you figure out, you know, who you want to pay of the role player young guys. And, you know, you go from there. But it's like, if you just want to keep this team together, then you're paying uh, Tyler here, oh, no, excuse me, you're paying Duncan Robinson, you're paying Goran Dragic, um, and then eventually you would want to pay Tyler Hero and, and Kendrick Nunn as well. Like, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what all the thought process is. Um, I'm not a Miami Heat guy, obviously, but it's just a situation where you wouldn't have thought coming into this year that there would be any thought that Miami might do some major retooling this offseason. It was like going to be a major addition, right? We thought they were going to sign someone. And maybe that'll just be what it is. Kyle Lowry's available. John Collins is available. Those names keep getting thrown out there. So maybe that's just what it is. And, you know, Miami just does their thing. But this could be a summer with a big trade for Miami. And I don't know what exactly that is. I'm not trying to line up the dollars. But it could end up, you know, involving a Duncan Robinson somehow sign-in trade. Who knows? There's a lot of different things that could occur. Um, I think... if if Miami had taken this thing to seven games, I don't think we're looking at anything nearly as drastic. But I think that right now all options are on the table for Miami in a way that they wouldn't have thought coming off a finals run. You know, you I know that we have like the, you know, the championship loss hangover thing or whatever, but um Miami felt like they were set to go for the future. You know, there were they planted the articles about how, you know, Miami thinks that Tyler Hero could be better than Devin Booker and all this other nonsense. And, you know, who knows what the trade value is for guys and all those things. But I just think Miami's at a fork in the road that came up a little quicker than they may have anticipated because this summer was supposed to be like their summer. And now it's more like, what are we going to do? So it's an interesting situation for them. 76ers pretty much been getting it done against the Wizards, but now, of course, the black cloud hangs over because Joel Embiid was hurt. Uh, I just checked as I'm recording here. There's no real update yet on what Joel Embiid's status is. It's not believed to be serious because uh, he was in a little bit after the he was hurt. Um, it's generally thought that he is going to be okay. There could be some sitting. We know that the 76ers are um, like super, super conservative with Joel Embiid when it comes to injuries. Uh, you know, they've sat him, you know, back to backs over the years. They've sat him extended time when he was out just to make sure he healed. All right. So I wouldn't be surprised, especially when you're in the series against the wizards and you know, they're not as good of a team. You know, if they sat Joel, uh, for a precautionary reason, you're up three, one, you know, not that you necessarily want to lose games in a playoff series, but like, you know, it's not like you're down three, one, um, you know, you you have, the opportunity to sit Joel and still try to go out and win. And, you know, when you're chasing a championship, the most important thing is health. So, uh, you know, you just basically got to be able to look at Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris and say, hey, I need you guys to be able to go out and win this game on your own. Um, And I actually think they're capable of doing that. Um, But it it may be possible that Joel is not hurt. You know, again, they described all of this as precautionary. And with the 76ers, it's fair to say that they're very precautionary with Joel Embiid. It's just tough to say if... That's really what's going on here. Um, but outside of that, in that, you know, in that series, I think, you know, it's pretty much gone how everyone expects, right? Um, you know, the 76ers are just really big. The Wizards don't have an answer for that. The Wizards simply don't have the defense necessary to hang with the 76ers. And even though they can score with them at times, the 76ers are just a bigger, better, more talented team. And, you know, it's it, it just goes to show. Um Talent wins out in these situations. We know that. But as good as Brad Beal is, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook is as good as he is. They're just not, you know, Beal is is in the the, the class of, uh, I don't know if he's quite in the class of Embiid, but he's certainly a top tier player, a top 20, top 15 player. Beal is very good. But, you know, you go down the roster and the Wizards just have no one who can defend anyone, really. You know, I, and... <laughs> 
you know, we're switching Daniel Gafford to the starting lineup, you know, okay, fine. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it just is what it is with the Wizards. This is not their year. They got to figure things out, but they've got a lot of promising youngsters. Um, you like what you've seen from Rui Hachimura at times. He definitely was a quality player this season. Looks like he's going to be a solid player in the NBA. So, you know, taking another step forward. I think for the Wizards, it's like this season started out like such a horrendous fucking nightmare. But for them to recover and get into the playoffs, I mean, it's, you know, given how bad things have been the last few years for them with injuries and everything else, I think. You know, Brad Beal loves the team. I think this has all got to be viewed as positive because I think anything that gets Bradley Beal to re-up or want to re-up or at least lean towards re-ing up is a good thing. He wanted to make the playoffs. They did. And, you know, hey, the series isn't over. You're still in it. You never know. So um, the Celtics-Nets series is going, you know, kind of, I think, how we expected. The Nets just have too much talent. Um the Celtics won one game. They had another game that was pretty close. I, I think it's fair to say that Jalen Brown certainly would have changed this series. Not necessarily to the point that the Celtics win it or anything like that, but, um, you know, it would certainly be, I think, a lot closer. His presence on defense and on offense, you just, you can see the Celtics are missing it. Um, and, you know, they're playing heavy doses of Jabari Parker. You know, the Celtics roster is just not that deep. And, you know, you, you could you could certainly see how Jalen Brown would make these games at least more entertaining. Um, I don't necessarily think that it affects like the series, though. Like, I mean, maybe it's two two right now. Maybe they win game one because the Celtics really did have a very good defensive game plan in, in game one and the Nets weren't quite ready for it yet. Um, you know, so maybe it's two two right now. Uh, but then maybe Tatum doesn't go off for the 50 game point game if they win game one. Who knows? I don't know. The point is the Nets are going to win this series. But look at Jason Tatum, man. Another 50 point game. Um, this dude is like he's trending towards being like the next Kevin Durant type. Like a dude who can just literally score anytime from anywhere. He is incredible. Jason Tatum is awesome. And I think the biggest thing to take away if you're a Celtics fan right now is that this team has a bright future. As much as you know, the Hayward thing didn't work and the Kyrie thing didn't work. And, uh, you know, the Kemba thing has not yet really worked, you know, as much as all of those things sort of suck. Um, the simple fact of the matter is the goal of those things was to advance the timeline around the two young stars, but guess what? You still got the two young stars and that's really the most important part. And, you know, they will eventually have cap space again to put a player around those dudes, um, you know, probably via some sort of sign and trade. But you can always find a way to get, you know, a third piece, even if it's not necessarily a third max piece. They'll be able to find a way to add someone when Kemba's contract is up because, you know, again, Brown is 24, Tatum is 22. You know, it's a long runway for the Celtics. So if anything, our expectations for them were ahead of schedule. And, you know, that is partially due to the way that Danny Ainge tried to develop young guys and play for a title with veterans at the same time. But, um, you know, at least I think at this point, pretty much, I think, you know, what you got to do, you build around Tatum and Brown in every single way possible. And even if that means trading Marcus smart for a piece that fits a little better long-term, you know, maybe you have to do that. And I mean, the real thing to do would be find a way to get, off Kemba's contract using Marcus Smart. I don't know if you could necessarily do that. Um, but, you know, find a way to get an asset for Marcus Smart while also getting off Kemba's contract. I don't, I don't know if you could possibly construct a deal that would actually move that much money at the same time. I'm talking about 2K trades here, people. But anyway, the Knicks-Hawks series, um, here's the one where I've been wrong, basically. Um, the The Hawks have just pretty much been the better team. Julius Randle really hasn't gotten it done. Trey Young has been awesome and has at least for the first round answered, you know, the questions about his playoff viability as, as, as many others have said, I'm certainly not inventing that thought. Um, but, you know, I think this is about coaching, like just truthfully, like, you know, I hammered the Hawks for firing Lloyd Pierce because they gave him, you know, the shortest leash he had an injured team. They didn't even let him coach the team as it got healthy. Nate McMillan got to coach the team as it got healthy. And what surprise they're winning. Now, some of that may be due to Nate McMillan. You know, people, a lot of fans complain about Lloyd Pierce. That situation is passed. And the simple fact of the matter is that right now, Nate McMillan is out coaching Tom Thibodeau. And everything that the Hawks have built 
is, you know, just beating down what the Knicks have built. Now, to be fair, there's a little bit more continuity within the Hawks than there is within the Knicks. The Knicks kind of put this team together um, this year. You know, Derrick Rose is a new addition. Emmanuel Quickly is a rookie. I know that Alfred Payton and and uh, uh, R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle played together for a couple years. Um, but, you know, the Hawks system has been built around Trey for a few years now. There's a, just a little bit more continuity within the Hawks, especially um, regarding the way that it's, you know, a Trey-centric offense. I know that the coaching has changed, but, you know, promoting an assistant who was there, at least for part of this season, you know, things haven't changed a ton. It's more about what happens when Trey goes to the bench that has changed for the Hawks. So, you know, this has just been a great series of coaching for Nate McMillan. Again, it's not over. Um, there's certainly still time for, you know, the Knicks to adjust, but you know, three, one is three, one. Um, it's a good lead for the Hawks. This is the one where, you know, I, again, I've been mostly wrong. I picked the Knicks to win and, you know, it's just essentially boiled down to, um, that the Knicks style isn't working in these playoffs. You know, sometimes basketball in the playoffs really does revolve to or break down to a lot of ISO ball. And the Hawks have simply been able to make Julius Randle's life a fucking nightmare. And, Everything the Knicks want to do outside of that has gotten muddled because Julius Randle isn't able to get what he wants. He's not shooting as well. He's not able to get to the rim with some of the efficiency that he has. You know, some of these things, are you expect this in the first round of the playoffs, but um, they haven't been able to kill Trey Young in the way that you would want. And it just, they just don't quite have enough juice. And the Hawks really do. And I mean, Trey Young's awesome. I, it's it, Trey Young is an incredible player, and for all the haranguing the Hawks have had for you know trading Luka Doncic and all these things, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to not see how this dude is a fucking superstar, and he just defensively he's a liability. I understand that. Many people are defensive liabilities, but offensively, he just, it's like watching Steve Nash. It really is. You know, everyone wants to compare him to Steph Curry. And in some ways he is like Steph Curry, but to me, he's like a Steve Nash who shoots more because Trey Young is so good going to the rim. Again, people talk about his flashy passing. He's an incredible passer. They talk about his deep threes. He's an incredible shooter. But man, that little dude gets to the rack and finishes in ways that you just wouldn't believe. And one thing I noticed about him from from day one of Summer League is that dude can get to the rim and finish. And that size, the ability to do that is just awesome. And... I don't know. I just, it's, it's impressive as hell. And I think that whoever this Hawks team plays in the second round, if they move on, um, I, you know, I don't have the bracket in front of me. It's the four series. I, I, anyway, the point is they're going to, it's going to be a really good series too, because the Hawks are just a solid, good team. Their best player is so young and getting better each day. It's an exciting time if you're a Hawks fan. So, Ah, right. Okay, the Sixers. So a Hawks-Sixers series would be very fun. I'm not sure that the Hawks really have the firepower to actually make that like a real legitimate series where it's, you know, oh, 76ers fans are worried, but it would certainly be a fun one. And now, let's just go ahead and do this. It is the day of Game 5, but Game 5 is more than just Game 5. We know the numbers. We know the history. When it's 2-2 and you win game five, you are in a damn good position. We know that Anthony Davis is hurt. We know that Chris Paul is hurt. We know that LeBron is hurt. You know, there are many players who are injured right now. Guys are dinged up on both teams. Campaign's got a black eye. It's been... A rough series. It's been a dogfight. And guys are gutting it out on both sides. And good for everyone. Injuries suck. I hate them. And I wish that both teams were at full strength so that we could get the true outcome of this series. But what we have today is a game full of humans who are hurt and dinged up and banged up. And this is just what it is. And what is in front of you is... The stranglehold on this series. And 
no matter what you are fighting through, no matter what is going on, you have to fucking reach out and grab it if you are the Phoenix Suns. It is time to step on the Lakers' fucking neck. It is time to end this shit. Put them out of their misery. Put them down. End this fucking series. Obviously, winning today does not end the series. But it puts you on a path towards forcing the Lakers to panic and adjust and fire desperation threes. And that's exactly what we want from them. Get their role players thinking that they can all play Superman. Let's make Ben McLemore shoot 20 times. Let's get Wes Matthews running up and down the court like he's 25-year-old Wes Matthews thinking he can do it all. Let those motherfuckers shoot because this is our time. This is where our depth comes in. This is what we have trained for. This is what we have fucking built. This whole fucking sun season, every single thing that this team built, every single thing that James Jones and Monty Williams built with this group was all about the depth resiliency, defense, and the eighth and ninth man being ready to step up and be just as effective as the first and second man. Because that's happened all year. That's had to happen every team all year. It's been COVID protocols. It's been injuries. Everyone has missed game. It's been a nightmare. The Suns' first-round pick barely could even play for the entire season. Abdul Nader's now out for the year after playing heavy rotation minutes for a while when other guys were hurt. This whole season has been about the next man up because that's how you get to the number two seed. In a season like this, you're not going to get 50 wins out of you know 72 when only your top two guys or top three guys are doing their job. Everyone has got to come together. And the simple fact of the matter is, is that that is truer right now, more true right now than ever before. All of the regular season shit fucking means nothing. Even the last four games mean nothing. The officiating, the shooting percentages, it just doesn't fucking matter because what you have right now in front of you is a best of three and you have two games at home. And you cannot start that on a bad note. This game is probably the most important game in Phoenix Suns history since the Bulls uh, game six. And yes, I'm saying it's more important than the 2010 Western Conference Finals. Because if you get past this team, you have just beaten a Hall of Fame champion with a newly constructed team, your 24-year-old guard and your 22-year-old center, and now... You're looking at a bracket that stands between you and the potential beginning of a dynasty. Had the 2010 team won, it would have been incredible. But it was an aging team. What the Suns are looking at right now is the beginning of a fucking dynasty. This is the potential for something so much goddamn more than just one ring or one trophy. You do this right now with this young team and you make them believe and you make them want to stay and build. You are looking at a future that this organization has never seen. This is the chance. The time is now. This is not just another playoff game. This is not just another game five. I don't care that it's round one. You are playing everyone's title favorite. Okay, maybe some people pick the Nets, whatever. Fine. But you're playing the best player in the league and his preferred running partner and the number one defense in the league. And again, the majority of analysts' title favorite. And if you go through them, there's no one that you can't go through. I don't care about the Nets. I still don't think the Nets are going to get past the 76ers. Now, does Joel Embiid's health affect that? Sure, but that's not what we're talking about today. Simple fact of the matter is that standing in front of you is the most recent champion. And you have the fucking opportunity 
to pull the the sword out of the stone and then stab them in the fucking neck with it. And I'm mixing myths here because that's what we do when we're stoned on the Blunt Doctor Show. This is the time. This is the day. This is the opportunity to take the first step towards building a Phoenix Suns dynasty. 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 Not just one championship. I'm not going to sit here and count them up like LeBron, but we have that opportunity. We've never had it before. We've never been anywhere near the precipice of that. And we're still not on the precipice of it. But it's there. It's in the distance. I can see it through the fog. There's just... There's so much here. And it seems so reductive and basic, but this series means more than... Just this series means more to the Suns than it does to the Lakers. This is the opportunity to change the perception of this team from everyone. This is the opportunity to make guys want to come here, make veterans want to come here on discounts to help bolster the depth, make coaches want to come assist here, make smart analytics people want to come work here to help put you over the top. Like, it takes a whole fucking organization top down to win a title. And the way to attract the talent to do it is pull off an upset like this and then prime yourself for a run at that trophy. Because Booker is locked in. Aiton and Bridges are going to be locked in. We, we hope Chris Paul comes back. If you can pull this thing off and do this thing, you are looking at something special that the league rarely ever sees. And we're talking about putting these guys with the all-time greats. That's what you're fucking looking at right now. And if you're a Suns fan, all of your energy needs to be focused on that because this game is the biggest fucking game maybe that this organization has ever had. We stand on the edge of the best Suns team of all time becoming a multi-time champion. Fuck season MVPs. We're going to have finals MVPs. And it starts with one game. It starts with boxing out. It starts with hitting your open triples. It starts with crisp defensive rotations. It starts with no lazy passing. It just starts with all the things that we have been known for all of this season. It is a three-game series. The opportunity is staring us in the fucking face. Can this Phoenix Suns team take it? Can Devin Booker take it? Can DeAndre Ayton take it from the Lakers? Take their crown, put it on our head, and say we're coming for your trophy next. Yes, they can. Go fucking Suns. That's the Blunt Doctor Show. Peace.